Welcome to the Evolution of Innovation podcast, supplying you with the tools and insights to access your business's full potential. Welcome to the Evolution of Innovation podcast. I'm your co-host, Sean Mader. Today with me, we have Chuck Rude. Hi, Chuck. How you doing, Sean? Good. Super excited today. We have an amazing guest, John Lynn. Yeah, in fact, we're going to have John for a couple episodes. We thought it'd be really helpful for people to uh, get some insights into the kind of the foundations of uh, running accelerator programs, doing innovation inside companies, so entrepreneurship, how to structure those. And so we've got a few different conversations coming up that I think will be really helpful for anybody who's uh, interested in how do you put in mentorship programs, building an ecosystem inside your organization that pulls for innovation. So, which uh, also brings me to our next point we might want to mention. Uh, We are in an ecosystem right now that might have some background noise. (laughs) So we're here, we're in actually Tribeca, New York right now. We're at an accelerator doing some work here and thought it'd be good to hop into a conference room in order to record this. So you might hear some background noise. Those are startups quick, you know, at work doing what they do. Got to be in the mix. Yeah. And uh, so just a little background on John. He's somebody who is, uh, has been in the innovation world from the perspective of working with a lot of corporates, working with uh, actually building accelerators. I'll let him explain that more. And he also runs the uh, a really amazing event called Celegate, which is where the heads of accelerator programs from around the world come together to exchange best practices, new innovations, how to actually respond best to the different conditions that they both face. So um, he's just a perfect person to talk to on this topic. So uh, we should probably bring him in, huh? Yeah, sounds good. Let's All go. right. Hello, John Lynn. Hello. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you. All right, so we've set you up a little bit. John Lynn is a bit of a master of multiple trades in the innovation space. So uh, why don't you first just tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about Sellagate. Tell us about some of the interesting partnerships that you're dealing with. And it's Sure. Fun. I'll take it away. So um, I'm one of the managing partners for a company called Sella. Sella builds accelerator programs in partnership with other groups. So we'll work with existing accelerators, investor groups, corporations, governments, or universities to build out innovation programs uh, using our team's background and experience track record in running world-class accelerator programs. And so We've done that in partnership with some blue chip Fortune 15 companies. Uh, we've done that internationally in uh, in China as well, and worked with some great universities and investor groups uh, along the way to our uh, programming and activities have been covered by Forbes and NASDAQ. Um, and then we also do a lot of community work, right? So work bringing together the different organizations, programs, and experts in the innovation industry. So you mentioned Celegate. That's our monthly gathering mm-hmm. of innovators and uh, program leaders in New York City. But we also have a quarterly event uh, that connects accelerators with founders. And then we also run the Sella Summit once a year. And the Sella Summit is recognized as the uh, first and only global accelerator summit. Uh, which we're super proud of as well. So So this is where all the accelerators and people who are innovation or people wanting to put in innovation infrastructure into their companies 
come together to actually learn more about how to do best practices, what a different structures look like, curriculum, like exactly. really all the nuts and bolts of what it looks like to run an accelerator. Right, right. There's a couple of things that we want to come out of all of these activities with the summit specifically, bringing everybody together to more clearly identify best practices inside of innovation and acceleration is a big outcome. Um, but we are also really eager with those activities to help create a more accessible narrative about what's working in innovation and how to get access to it. So one of the topics that you and I keep uh, coming up and talking about when it comes to structurally running an accelerator and where what are the big pitfalls is the whole mentorship program, how people are defining mentorship, how they're arranging their programs, how they're even educating mentors and mentees. And you really see this as one of the critical areas that can be make or break yeah, for any innovation in initiative. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, mentorship is one of those words alongside ecosystem, accelerator, innovation, um, that you sort of hear in conversations like these around the way that education and uh, workforce development, corporations are changing. But of all these terms, mentorship is probably the most important to understand in a definitive way and to get right. Mm -hmm. Because it's mentorship that, that is the difference between innovation as at an accelerator or in the startup community and doing innovation at a corporation or learning about entrepreneurship at a university. So mentorship is something that we've come to identify as maybe the number one thing to get right when you're thinking about innovation. Can you define mentorship? In Is it a formal setting? Is it an informal? What do you see that as the structure or kind of how to approach that or look at it? What lens do you look at? Yeah, sure, sure. So we, we have our own definition of what we think captures mentorship. Of course, one of the interesting things about this space is that everybody's approaching all of these elements in different ways. So there's not a widely accepted definition for mentorship in the industry. For us, mentorship is not an interaction. It's a structured relationship that is geared towards specific outcomes for the innovator in the program, right? Uh, so that means coming in and spending 30 minutes with an entrepreneur or a creative thinker at a corporation to th hear about their idea is a supportive interaction, but it is not mentorship. Uh, so uh, uh, those are important elements of, of the term for us. Okay. And then who do you look for, specifically in the startup accelerator world, um, to implement or identify how that structure or the form, because it sounds like it's a very formal, at least in the way you approach it in that setting, how, who formalizes it? Who looks at it and says, this startup needs... X, Y, and Z structure yeah. and, and them recognizing that they do need the mentorship? That's a great question um, because part of the answer to that is that it's up to the talent of the managing team to see where the gaps are in an innovator's activities and who can help address that problem that's inside of the mentor community. So that kind of targeting is, is something that some, some teams just have a talent for. But even when that's maybe absent or not well-developed, there are ways to engineer 
the mentorship network so that it is still ready to be activated and be supportive in a repeatable, systematic way. And I think, Sean, you know, what, what we've talked about in the past is one of the key ways that that's mistaken by a lot of organizations is the sort of perception that, okay, I am in charge of running this innovation program. I have built a great network and a lot of awesome experiences as this program leader or this managing director or whoever, whatever my title is. So I can lay out the curriculum and I can call the right people to come in and impress our entrepreneurs, but also support them and excite them. And that'll be enough when it comes to mentorship. And the reality is, it's really a process that requires two ends of, of structure. So there's one where you have to be sure where the entrepreneurs or the innovators in the program understand. Yeah, there's some actual ground rules about how, how do you use a mentor how to manage it. in a way that's going to maximize the benefit of your time being there. Exactly. And that's usually done, right? Because if I'm running that program and I'm calling in this network that I've developed over, over years and probably difficult experiences, uh, then I want to know that the participants in my program are going to treat that the right way. What's mm -hmm. not often done is preparing that mentor network to understand what the expectations are for being a mentor in this program and what that means as far as time commitment, as far as connecting the entrepreneur with other members of their network, giving them advice, and also being open to a longer-term mentor relationship, right? Uh, because, again, that's, that's the difference. You yep. want people to be coming out with this sort of new network of support by the end of the program. And you, we've talked a little bit about this. Things can get confusing if you're in a startup accelerator. Mentors tend to fall into two different buckets. You may have mentors who are also investors. That's right. And that, that actually brings with it some unique features. Sure. And then sure there's does. other mentors who are, are experts or, or more uh, operations or might not have a financial stake right. in the business. And, th and this is, this is going to be true. This is another important point. But it's going to be true in traditional startup accelerators as well as corporate accelerators yeah. because where there might be misalignment in an investor mentor's contribution or ability to support an entrepreneur, there can be similar constraints to how a more senior executive can support a younger or more junior corporate innovator. But keeping the analogy just clear towards the startup accelerator uh, portion of things, yes, there are differences in the way that an investor mentor is prepared to support an entrepreneur and the way that an operator, we call them mentor, is prepared to support an entrepreneur because an operator mentor has great experiences. They have been in this entrepreneur's or this innovator's shoes. They have other people in their network that understand that position and are ready to come in to help mm -hmm. as well as great experiences and knowledge to help support that entrepreneur. And many investors have that as well. The best investors have been entrepreneurs in the past themselves. But when there are tangible, sometimes capital resources that can come out as a result of, of that relationship, uh, then it does sort of change how the expectations are structured for mentorship um, in, that, in that particular instance. And it's a great example of how 
Yes, it's mentorship of a different kind, but because you're taking the time to structure it on both ends, it can still be a great supportive relationship. Yeah. And there were the reality is that there's no one size fits all approach to this, but what would you say are some of the qualities that make a good mentor? Great. So, you know, outside of the process, outside of how do you how do you prepare a mentor network, how do you structure those expectations? What are the personal traits that make a good mentor? Mm -hmm. Love that question. So I think one of the most important is certainly empathy and um, the ability to not just listen to an entrepreneur and give them the space to speak and express that they need because they are so deep in it. Mm -hmm. It might take them a little bit, a little while to get, to what's what's really at at issue, but then also to to listen to that and hear all the layers of that expression and understand what the way in is. How do I present my feedback or my direction to this entrepreneur in a way that can be heard in this moment, which takes more than just saying it clearly, yep. right? And that's uh, that's something that I think is has been the difference maker for for, for the best mentors uh, that I've seen. And then the second is having an overall generous attitude when it comes to, yes, your time and knowledge, but also your network, right? Um, Being able to open those doors for an entrepreneur and to create more space for them to fail Mm -hmm. in their network as they build their business, it's one of the key reasons that accelerators work because they accelerate that process towards mistake making. Yeah. And as a mentor, part of your role is to enable that. So uh, number two, I think, in mentors that I see being really impactful in programs uh, are really open to sharing their network. And it's, it ends up being great for, for the entire community because uh, now you've got more people that have an experience supporting these uh, creators, but you also have a community that has had a greater range of experience with itself and, and that helps trust and make, makes even more things happen. Yeah. Yeah. It just creates an environment where more interactions, more discovery is happening. And even the, the startups in the accelerator community start to share their experiences with the other startups. You sure. Yeah. The sharing is an important part of it. How does that work within the corporate innovation space? Great. Considering that's a, theoretically a closed bubble unless you're bringing in external people. Sure. So like we forecasted before, the ways that mentorship is different between an operator mentor, an investor mentor, and a startup accelerator sort of reflects the differences in mentorship at a corporation for different reasons. Yes, also because sometimes there's tangible, sometimes capital resources at stake if you're being mentored by an individual or a group that can give you budget or allocate time uh, to permit you to, to work on this project. There's also organizational constraints, right? That can sometimes impede really transparent, long-term support of mentorship, right? So in uh, some corporations, the concept of career bands applies where uh, certain uh, employees at certain levels of the, of the organization can only talk to each other but not to other groups, right? Or even this sort of separation between departments and teams. And it's there because the corporation is structured to be highly efficient 
and to achieve very specific outcomes and value points for shareholders on a repeatable basis. So you have to have that to an extent. But when it comes to opening the door to creative conversations that require transparency and problem solving and resources, it's something that makes it difficult to, to make room for. Sure. And the best ideas come from a variety, like within your accelerator you talked about, you get a bunch of different opinions, voices from different points of view, which accelerate that space for failure and success, yeah. where within a company it seems to, especially ones that silo things out, seem to really damper that input and in, in, uh, stakeholder input, really. Yeah, for sure. So it's something we see specifically in a project that we do with uh, one, of the, one of the world's largest banks. And we will take 200 employees into a three-day experience and we'll introduce them to a new technology, let's say blockchain. And an expert in blockchain will introduce the technology and then we'll break up this 200-person group into groups of 10 with mentors from our network that have been prepared to make sure that these groups understand that technology and have guidance in understanding how to apply it to the business's market or to problems inside the corporation. And we open up each one of those workshops with those small groups by asking, having everybody share, every one of these employees talk about what's the number one challenge that they have day to day. And unmistakably, every time what happens is that there's a pattern. And it gets discovered for the first time in that room because some of these barriers exist in the in the in the organization. Otherwise, and I'm assuming, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I'm assuming that the people, the 200 individuals in that room, come from every part of the they company do. That's and corner. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's this diversity of of perspectives that exists naturally inside of a corporation, and that is so powerful. But sometimes the structure of the corporation can get in the way of optimizing and capturing all the value of that diversity. So sometimes innovation is just the act of opening that door. And sometimes literally uh, just as simple as getting people in a new setting, in new configurations, and asking them some very simple questions and having some structure to track that. Yeah, it takes a lot of work just to create that time, yep. that place, and that structure. It's, uh, so as I mentioned before in my, my introduction, um, you know, we've done programs all over the world. On the thought leadership side, I've also done some speaking tours at different corporations at different company, in different countries. And um, one, of the, one of our favorite talks uh, is about how innovation is an issue of culture, not technology. And it's really head-spinning sometimes for uh, an individual who might be thinking about technology as the key to the future of their organization or their market. But to your point, Sean, the real key is creating a social experience of the corporation or whatever team you're on that can unlock those conversations and create room um, for creativity. So, uh, so you're spot on. This is we, a, a, we talk a about this a lot. Trend right? that has come up with not only the guests but the conversation that Sean and I have is Happy that I'm on trend. Yeah, no, um, is is that it's. 
people within the organization that are creating the innovation, not the technology. Technologies are the means to the end. They're avenue. There's a they're a way of distributing or moving the ideas or the 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 topic or the service you're trying to provide customers or internal employees. But it's really about the people and empowering the people to use these tools. Absolutely, uh, and I think that's. There are many reasons why that sort of gap exists between understanding innovation as a social activity and understanding it as technology. Um, and I think it's it's part of what's interesting about what's getting paid attention to when it comes to the startup world now. I mean, you know, five, seven years ago, the narratives that you would hear were about who got funded for having what kind of proprietary technology at whatever number of millions of dollars. But now it's a really popular topic of conversation is, well, how does this company structure PTO? And how does this company create uh, team meetings that are effective? And how does this company uh, you know, affect or, or, or change or pivot, depending on what's happening in the market, as, as a team? Um, and so I, I think there's some slow progress towards understanding how the people are, are, are really center and the, the technology is kind of a, uh, a substrate. Well, yeah, we do have this m- kind of a maturing of the conversation now that's starting to happen. It used to be that we'd get very... So you, th- you agree, I'm not alone in this. No, no. well, it, the signs are, are getting better and better, it seems. And it seems that a lot of, for a long time, we've just been impressed with these breakout results without really asking how or why that happened. So getting into the actual structures of, well, how do meetings take place? What are the conversations that are driving them so that they could pivot? And obviously in the startup accelerator world, we have this huge benefit of nimbleness. These companies are starting from nothing. The the future is clear. There's not a lot of past. There's not a lot of structure in the way as an impediment. So then we take these structures into corporate innovation, into entrepreneurship, and we run into a whole set of structures, a whole set of uh, cultural norms that were all constructed for good reason, but are at odds with this new need to work differently. And so, one of the things we talked about there are some natural uh, there's some natural resistance, obviously culturally, but then structurally there are also things that are at odds with innovation that are sometimes in organizations for good reason. Like we're talking about career bands, mm. career bands that exist where that would limit the ability for one employee to speak to another employee. Sure. Well, I mean, to, to, to your point, I mean, coming back to the importance of the culture piece of how these teams and conversations are structured, this is reflecting a lot of what we're expressing about why mentorship needs to be done in the right way, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's an example of how this purely communicative, behavioral Social structure is what is a key thing to get get right in an otherwise very technological environment. So, um, and it's a big reason that we have so much excitement about the potential of the accelerator model, not just to create great startup ecosystems, but to create great companies, right? If you look at the difference between some of the companies that are transitioning or owning uh, the transition into the uh, a more informational technological economy, and you look at someplace like Google and compare it to much older but larger organizations, 
this is part of the big difference, right? I mean, Google it has created structures that enable the continuous and organic development of new products, new services, new brands all the time to the extent that they've embedded it into the brand. It's not Google, it's Alphabet, right? And that's because of the structure that's been built inside of the team and the way that the culture is encouraged and built to create those things on a consistent basis. So for us, we almost see Google Alphabet as an example of a company as an accelerator. Yep. And if you get these components of acceleration correct, how powerful it can be. Can I, let me ask if where, so one of the things we talk about on this podcast is, is try to bring it down to level as somebody can actually a mid-level person in one of those fortune 100 companies that's been around for a hundred years can actually actionably do something coming out of this. If you, they're on the innovation team or relatively close to it, how could they, what would be the first step of trying to break down those silos to create some sort of formalized mentorship program or even slightly informal, but something they can structure within their team? What would be some first steps in, in thinking about it or even pitching it to their boss in terms of a value proposition? Great question. Yeah. And, and, and I think the answer has more to do with the business case for innovation than it does with actual execution. Right? Why is it worth it? What are we going to get as a company uh, if we invest in building a mentorship program and we take the time and the effort and spend the money and take the risk to, to do that? Or if we do that with an accelerator or a hackathon or any other innovation mm -hmm. activity, right? And from our perspective, I mean, historically, the progression has been pretty clear. I mean, starting from corporate venture capital into startups as a market into acceleration. But the things that, that those efforts deliver in terms of what's great for the corporation or what's great for the company, whatever kind of company it is, is really kind of three primary things. Um, talent, product, and insight. And if you can tie your initiative around mentorship or your initiative around an innovation lab or an incubator to one of those three poles, then it's actually really easy to prove that innovation is, is going to be a, a, a key factor in, in succeeding there. So looking at some of the deals that we've worked on, it almost seems like talent has been the most key, the most influential reason to invest in innovation. So if you Both can, for attracting and retaining. At, at, attracting, retaining, and developing. Yep. Almost, more, mo, almost most importantly, right? Um, and so, I mean, yes, all companies are struggling to engage and attract high potential talent in ways that they haven't before, right? You're no longer as a... Verizon competing against just Comcast or just a direct competitor for certain kinds of talent. You're also competing against those individuals' decision not to join a big tech company or not to join a startup or not to start their own company. So the landscape of decision-making when it comes to attracting really top talent has become super complex. And making a case that this creates space for you do not just invite high potential individuals to join the corporation, but also in the process, position your company to be responsive to changes in the market, whether it's talent-related, 
tech related or business related, um, to me has always been a really strong place to start the conversation. Well, and that goes back to our uh, conversation with Tim Middleton over at Havas People, which had done a super deep dive into uh, consumer trends and consumer desires, which uh, is by far probably common knowledge now, but really looking at what that tells us about what the employee experience, treating your employee as a customer of your company. And I mean, we're kind of already in the mix of this world where we have friends and colleagues who are constantly oscillating between, do I go for security in the corporate world, but then I feel penned in. I don't have freedom to grow and develop. Yeah. I find myself doing repetitive work. There's no way to feel a sense of personal expansion to, or do I go out and take my chance in the startup world? Yeah, I think Where it's another like example. Uncertainty, but I'm more alive and I'm doing something that has more freedom and there's always this tension there. So that is also the battle for innovation. It's another way that the the context of you know wh- who who decides to go into what company has also become more complex not just in terms of other options they have but in terms of what the transaction is and you can mm-hmm. no longer as a company offer the best deal and win right when wh- where the deal is salary benefits vacation right uh, and, and and again, it's it's a big part of the reason that innovation has been successful in helping surface that conversation and make a place for the other elements that are at play when you're thinking about really committing as an employee to uh, to an organization. Yeah. There's just one topic I wanted to touch on still about mentorship in the corporate and the entrepreneur space. There's obviously room to create a new definition for mentorship in the conversation for accelerator and innovation. That's going to be different than the typical conversation for what a mentor is. So when we have people involved in a, in an innovation process, mentorship for the innovation process is different than any mentor they might have for normal career advancement. Now, when you create that Mm. program inside of a company, how do you navigate how many people should be, Internal mentors, meaning C-suite executives that might really uh, have some pull inside the company, and then how to integrate outside experts and mentors in some in a place where they might be sensitive to IP, uh, certain trade secrets, stuff like that. Because you definitely do want to get an outside perspective, but it gets a little more complicated yeah. than in a startup accelerator. Sure, and, and and this is where understanding mentorship as a structure for relationship, not as a structure for interaction becomes really important. If you're in that corporate innovation circumstance and you may be receiving, you may be having a meeting with somebody who's a director or a managing partner or a C-suite or board level executive at this uh, at this organization, understanding that as an interaction of support and guidance uh, isn't necessarily a structure for for mentorship. And so that becomes a question of something we touched on earlier is how do you create space inside of an otherwise pretty broadly but rigidly defined organization um, for conversations that are outside of your primary remit to occur, right? And so part of the answer to that question is starting that conversation with why are we doing innovation 
Um, what do we want to come out of it? And which of these approaches is, is really important because then you can talk about creating that structure in that space. So that's the first piece of my response. The, the, the second piece is regarding the external. Yeah, bringing uh, in external mentors and, and some of the natural pitfalls. How do you sort of manage up. for that? Yeah. yeah. So this is a little bit of a larger question because now you're talking about ecosystem development. Which is going to be our next podcast with <laughs> John Lynn. And, uh, you know, it, it, it mirrors some of the, the rationale and the interests that an individual has when seeking mentorship. A organization will seek in an ecosystem. And there are risks, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's, there, there, there are too many stakeholders inside of the ecosystem to have everyone agree on a case-by-case basis what's going to be a secret and what's not. Mm -hmm. Um, That process, not just because it takes time and energy, but because it costs trust, uh, can get in the way of innovation because then you don't have some of the conversations you need to have, as we said before. So those risks and costs are real. But to the extent that you want to value the outcomes of that investment. So what are we learning? And are we learning faster because we're part of this greater ecosystem? Are we getting access to new business opportunities more quickly, more sales, because we're part of this broader ecosystem? How valuable is that? And is that worth the risk? We're getting into contact with more talented individuals, right? So now we're creating an organic pipeline for us to encounter people that can be a part of the organization and, 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 and on and on. So uh, when you think about the, how external mentorship should be, uh, this is, this is sort of the calculation that needs to be made. Yep. Great. Well, John, uh, thank you for coming in today. This has been a fantastic conversation on mentorship. We are going to record another podcast about how to create that ecosystem and some of the, uh, you just already kind of alluded to it. Some of the, the risks, rewards, benefits, and potential uh, potential risks in doing some of those, and just kind of going through some situations that highlight different ways that different sized companies can approach that. So that's going to be on our next one. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. If you'd like to learn more about our workshops or consulting and innovation strategy services, please visit us at evolutionofinnovation.com or email us at hello at evolutionofinnovation.com.